Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here tonight with Ira Cooper. Welcome, Ira. Hi, David. How you doing tonight? Good, good. Thanks for uh, thanks for doing this. Bruce is at the game tonight, and I got a really early morning tomorrow. I got to get up at six, so uh, he wouldn't be home for quite a while. So I'm uh, thanks for filling in for him tonight. Yeah, uh, much appreciated. And first of all, Ira, condolences. I understand that your father passed yesterday, or not yeah. yesterday, but had his funeral yesterday. So my condolences to you. Yeah, thanks very much, Dave. I I appreciate that. It's been a a trying couple of weeks, and and in particular the last couple of days. And you know, when you reached out to me and asked if I wanted to to fill in for for Bruce, um, my initial thought was, you know, there's just you know, there's going to be people at the house still watching the game, and I'm just not sure I'm into it. And then I thought, you know what, you know, what my dad loved, you know, one of the many things that he loved was. You know, the, the six or seven times over the last few years where I was asked to, to fill in and I did the Cult of Hockey podcast, my dad absolutely loved it. He was a big <laughs> season tickets back, back in the 80s. And, you know, he loved the fact that I was, you know, kind of had this, you know, role a little bit and he would send it to all of his friends. So I thought, you know what, maybe this is a good time to to actually do the podcast is, you know, to honor my dad a little bit and give a, a shout out to him on, on the cult of hockey. I know some of his friends do listen to it um, and watch the and watch the podcasts or the, the YouTube uh, streams. Um, so, you know, here's to your dad. I, I love you. And I know you're a big Oilers fan. And, and uh, you know, we went, shared a lot of Oilers experiences and I'm, I'm going to miss it. What was your father's name? His name was Jerry, Jerry Cooper. Jerry Cooper. Well, here's to you, Jerry. This is for you. Um, and, you know, it's and it is interesting how hockey brings together families and fathers and sons. Um, I my my father uh, was. We also had season tickets. He had season tickets in the '80s. Shared them with my uncle Jack. Yeah. And we would go in from Devon, you know, and drive in, and we, you know, spend endless hours on those drives back and forth talking about you know his his line what do you think about the line combinations he always wanted to talk about the line combinations and you know just get conversation going and it's a great kind of link between the generations when you can't talk about anything else sometimes you can talk about hockey Mm -hmm. which is important uh sometimes for teenage sons and and their fathers so it's always served that purpose in in it and it will continue to do so yeah, hockey and sports in general have always been a big part of my life, and it, and it started with my dad putting me in hockey and, you know, going to Oilers games, and we would always as a family, and maybe now in the last couple of years, I think my mom might be the biggest Oilers fan in the, in oh. the family, and, and she wanted to give a, a high five to her boys because my, my brother's in town from Kelowna for the win. Didn't get to do it for the win, but... Uh, <clears throat> Yeah, that was a tough game tonight. It's a 2-1 or 3-1 loss, I guess, to the LA Kings because of the empty net goal. Man, I forgot, Ira, how much I hated the LA Kings for a while there, but I was quickly reminded in that game. um, The hit by Adler, um, I don't, like, they were, uh, Bob Stoffer and Jason Sturdick between pairs were talking about how Adler often does that hit. I, I don't actually have a memory of that so much, but... Maybe he does, but, but that was a dirty play. And the LA Kings are a dirty team. <laughs> they always have been, and they always seem to get the calls from the refs. It's like doubly frustrating to have this kind of dirty team, instigating team. You know, they used to have Dustin Brown all those years. I was just 
going to say you think that Dustin Brown retires and, and it would get better, but, you know, now with Edler. And, you know, I, and I didn't realize it uh, until Zach Hyman mentioned it, you know, in the in the intermission, and then they showed the replay. It was the exact same hit that Edler did on and took Hyman out a few years ago with that knee injury. So, it, it, you know, again, and, you know, even McDavid, when he was skating down with his, you know, the guy spread out to, to, to you know, to do it on purpose, like he made himself big. So I, I think it was I don't know if he was meaning to necessarily go knee on knee, but he was he was trying to get a piece of him way in a, you know in a way that was impactful. Actually. It's a you know, it is it is a man's game, NHL hockey. It's mm-hmm. professional hockey. There's a lot on the line and there's and there's rough play, but um yeah, that seemed seemed a bit to cross to cross the line. Um <coughs> so I didn't like it at all. And I thought, you know, that the orders seemed so fired up that they were going to come back and win that game. Yep, yep. But McDavid, he got a little out of control with the stick there, is the truth. And he took one penalty then. Like, they started to take too many penalties. And they got away with it for a while. And then they didn't, right? And then they didn't. You know and what? that's that's hockey, too. That's and, and, and full credit to the Kings. I thought the orders were going to come out in the third period and be so fired up they would win that game. But L.A. really did... Um, put on a strong defensive effort. Ira, the grade A shots in the game were um, 11 to 8 for the Kings. And when it came to um, the subset of five alarm shots, so the grade A shots go in about 25% of the time. And the five alarm shots, they're a subset, and they go in about 33% of the time. And the, the, the Kings had five and the Oilers had three. It was a low event game. This was the only the second time this year the Oilers have been limited to that few grade A shots in a game. The other was a two nothing loss to St. Louis. So the Kings sti- were played stifling defensive hockey. Yep. And they, they as they've been uh, known to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. This is our two good things, two bad things and two numbers podcast. What is your good thing? Ara? Uh, I think uh, I'm going to go with the <laughs> overall play of uh, Evan Bouchard. I thought that uh, he was driving play from the back end from the very first shift of the game. Um, I know that many will talk about the, you know, 10 shot attempts, and I think he had seven shots blocked in the first, but, um, you know, there there was a couple that I thought he could have worked a little better to get through, and it looked like they were going to get blocked, but I... Did really enjoy the, as Louis DeBrus likes to say, the the shooting mentality, and he was doing a great job walking the line, uh, walking that blue line to try and get shots through. He fired a couple um, great, you know, cross seam transition passes um, right on the tape, um, and he got, and he even had a little truculence. There was uh, one kind of out of the nowhere cross check at one of the, at the end of one of the periods that he threw, you know, as that game was getting a little dirty and dirtier, Boucher stepped up in that area as well. And even a couple solid defensive plays, uh, um, one where I think it was Kulak um, got kind of uh, beaten down low and he made a, a great recovery play to, I think it was Arvinson uh, to, to negate a shot until Kulak got beat again on the boards for the second time in about five seconds. And I think, uh, I can't remember if it was Kefe uh, uh, or somebody had a shot that Skinner had to make a save on. But I think Bush, all in all, I think he led the, 
he led the team in in five on five ice at uh, 20 minutes and i think he deserved every second of that and i think only three shots on net but i think it was 13 or 14 shot attempts so you can look at that as a good thing or a bad thing but you know when he was on the ice they they dominated the you know possession not all the shots were getting through but i thought he was pretty dynamic uh for most of the evening yeah i mean uh some people were making jokes that he's going to be taking over Andre Secker as a Nick Shimpat assassin nickname but I thought that was kind of unkind you know frankly because Bouchard gets his shot through so much um and um there's a there was once when he joined the rush and he looked really dangerous I'd, I'd like him to join the rush more yeah. and be a bit more assertive on the attack I think um as his confidence offensive confidence in game develops and he should be encouraged to do this like get him get up there in the play take part in the play he's by far I think by far their best offensive defenseman. And, and I, you know, Tyson Berry's has some real skills, obviously passing and shooting the puck. Tyson Berry's makes good decisions with the puck, especially in the offensive zone. Like it's kind of half court game, so to speak is excellent. Um, But Bouchard just the breakout passes, the shot from the point, the passes in the offensive zone. He is a dangerous, dangerous player. And the owners, I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him featured on the top pairing uh, with Nurse at some point this year. Nurse would have to change his game a little bit and defer offensively to Bouchard, pass the puck. One of the problems in the past when they've been together is Nurse likes to shoot. Yep. He's got a good shot, but you don't you, you don't want him shooting when Bouchard's there. You want him setting up Bouchard. So um, Nurse would have to change his game a little bit and defer on the at the offensive blue and then the attack to Bouchard a bit more. But I think in the end, you want that probably as your top pairing um, for the next few years going forward. I, I, I would have to hope that that's the plan going forward. And especially with, you know, I think, I think they have played together 40 to 50 minutes. I remember seeing this a few days ago, uh, Nurse and Bouchard, and it, the numbers are by far greater than Nurse and CC or uh, Nurse and Barry for this season. I know Nurse and CC were quite well last year, but it's just not quite as consistent. Not, you know, they're no. you know, pairing yeah. up the middle early in the game yet again. So um, I think Bush has had, as we all know, is, you know, is a fairly uneven season and then quite a few defensive struggles. But I thought tonight was quite the bounce back game. And if he can continue with games like this, the goals will come <laughs> eventually. And he's going to get his points and the confidence. And, and I think by the end of the year and going into the playoffs, I, I'm going to hope that you're right. And we're going to see the nurse Bouchard top pairing. Yeah. Cause if this team's going to go anywhere in the playoffs, they're going to need some players to step up and be better than they are now. Yeah. And Bouchard, you know, it's, it, the, it's mainly the younger players on the team who are really capable of that. I mean, you're not going to get a lot more to McDavid and Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins and Hyman and players like, and Nurse, even CeCe. But it's, it's the, you know, these younger players between the ages of 22 and 26, 27, who need to get that much better. And uh, it may happen. We'll see. We'll see. Um, my good thing is there's a couple newcomers on the team who in the last couple games have really impressed me. Clem Costin has never been much of a scorer at any level of professional hockey. I don't believe I'm just going to confirm that. And um, but man, he um, he's got some real presence on the ice in terms of his physical play. He's he is a big tough guy with the puck and 
who did he hit tonight? He really blasted someone with a good yeah, hit. A couple of hits, a couple of big ones. But yeah. Exactly who the... I think it was Doughty, actually, um, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, he's he's a big guy and um, made some good plays with the puck tonight. And Janmark, man, like, they've signed so many guys, like Eric Belanger and... Um, who did they sign a couple years ago? Another European guy who came in that was supposed to be good. Eitan uh, Haas or Joachim Nygaard? No, it was a guy who had been in the NHL for a while. I'm just trying to think. Um, anyway, um, supposed to be good. Played with Pulley Arvey and Nugent Hopkins to start. Yeah, uh, he had a brother uh, who was better than him. <laughs> oh, Grandland? You know, it wasn't even Grandland. Yeah. Uh, I'll just keep, I'll just. Uh, the lesser I'll, Grandland. <laughs> see if I can think of it. Anyway, Janmark. It's like, whoa, maybe the Pro Scouts got it really right. Like, they, the Pro Scouts recently have been a lot better than in the past. I mean, some of the signings like Hyman and CC and pl- players are working out a little bit better. But um, they didn't for a long time. And they bring in players kind of in this uh, Matthias Janmark mold who just would not work out. They would be very disappointing. You know? um, I'm looking for it. I still can't find the guy's name. Ryan Spooner. No, it wasn't him. Uh, so, uh, anyway, um, he, he's carrying the puck well, Jan Mark. Uh, he's, uh, can make plays with the puck. He puck protects well. He seems to be strong on defense. He looks like, wow, this guy could be like a, a useful third line hockey player. So, um, good. Maybe even play up the lineup a little bit now and then. So we'll see, you know. Truth be told for, I know, a good 400 games, he's been a useful uh, third line left winger in the NHL and uh, he still is and I think the only real reason he was in the AHL because um, I didn't think he had a bad camp he wasn't you know great but he was a, a veteran that you know just kind of gets his timing and whatnot during camp but it was a cap casualty like that was the only reason why why he wasn't on the team on the other hand Clem Clem Costin absolutely 100% earned that call-up as well. Like, uh, I'm not, I'm, as, as you know, Dave, I'm a fairly avid watcher of the Condors. Um, so I didn't really know anything about Costin, except I watched him play about eight games in, in the AHL. And you know what he did? Pretty much exactly what he did tonight. He is um, can be quite impactful from the red line forward. He's big, he's fast, he's aggressive, he gets in on the forecheck, and he can bang bodies, and he's got some skill. What I did see in Bakersfield was, you know, the odd tire fire without the puck, and uh, some uh-huh. lack of commitment at times uh, from the red line back. But to tell you the truth, and I'm going to give the player credit because that was mostly in the first, you know, two three weeks of the AHL season, and whether it was chalk uh, coaching him up or. You know, maybe I'm just finding his fitness, but he got a lot better in that area um, as uh, as the Condors kept playing. And I haven't seen any major defensive mistakes or lack of commitment from him in his uh, was it three games now. So, and also like he uh, he has a penchant, at least in the AHL, for taking uh, the Evander Kane like neutral zone minor. Yeah, he take a lot. But again, that was basically the first six seven games in the last couple games couple weeks in the NHL, he seemed to cut that out. So if he can find a consistency away from the puck, I think he can be 
you know, he's never going to score. I shouldn't say never. He's probably not going to get you 25 goals. Um, but I think he can be a, a solid, you know, third liner, maybe with the odd opportunity to move up because at this point we're still searching for, for someone to fill the train and the Yamamoto void, you know. So, uh, yeah. Clem's going to be that guy, uh, and he probably isn't. But, you know, I think for a game or two they, or a shift or two and, as we were talking about before the pod, they seemed to get elevated right near the end of the game. I was getting a bit annoyed that it, that it took a while for those two to get elevated, but, but they got a shift with the empty net of all, of all times. Yeah, I would have liked to see them get a little bit more ice time uh, as that game was going on. So Janmark has been kind of a, a 20 to 35 point guy yeah. uh, in his career. So, and... Um, so he's he's got a bit on the attack. Um, the guy I was trying to think of was UC Jokinen. Oh, came, <laughs> came with a bit of a reputation. We were all expecting some good things, and he just was useless. And that was that seemed to be the story of the Oilers for years. They'd bring in players, and they were essentially useless. All these pro players and um, older pros. Yeah. But Janmark looked really good. I mean, he made one really kind of end-to-end rush and got a nice shot on net. Um, puck on protected that. Uh, very well. Wins pucks on the board. So. Yeah, I mean, it's you're right. Like, there's they're gonna have to find someone. They got to find someone else other than Hyman and Nuge to play who can who can do well. I, I've liked Fogel actually. Mm-hmm. With uh, I didn't mind Fogel tonight, although he was you know semi culprit on both of the goals. Um, I didn't mind him tonight on the uh, on Dry Settles line, and I liked him the other night. Maybe he he will fit in there for a while, but they still Puliarvi is um, he looks like he'll never score. Yeah. Is how he looks. He he's he he is a, a good defensive player. He's always back on the back check. He's a diligent forechecker. But man, he is he is struggling out there to make a play on the attack. He just he just is he just seems to lack all uh, offensive confidence again. I liked him better on the third line mm-hmm. um, with McLeod, and maybe that's where they should put him. Maybe I, I don't know. I guess they like McLeod as the third line center. I like McLeod as the third line center, but maybe it's time to try him on the. I'm one of the top lines. I don't know. Yeah, they might have to move Nuge down if less they want to. Two fourth line, Ryan and Shore to be the three and four C or something. But I can't disagree on Pugliarvi, and I am one of the Pugliarvi backers. I, I do think there's more to But, you know, we're getting to the point. Like, he threw a big hit in the first that, that led to a scoring chance, and, and I think he threw another hit. But other than that, like, he was, I, I saw very little from him tonight. Like, fairly responsible, but then on the on the attack and, you know, keeping plays going, which is something he normally does. He's, he's not even doing that these days. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm at a bit of a, a loss there. And I, I see him smiling along in the, in the bench, uh, even though I thought he was having quite a, quite a poor game. And it doesn't seem like, you know, the intensity is clicking there. I think he could be a little harder on the puck sometimes these days. But. Yeah, I've always been a booster, too. And I'm starting to see it's just not it's not it's not happening here yet so it's a little bit it's time this is the season where he had to step up yeah and both him you know i don't know if he's hurt yet we i always was postulating that yamamoto was playing hurt and i think he was so maybe there's an excuse there but puliarvi's just got to he's got to make up his mind that he's going to go for it he's going to get the puck and he's going to take it to the net he's just going to do it and no one's going to stop him see if that works I think players have to get to that point of desperation where they're just going to, like, just just go for it. Because 
uh, playing cautious hockey is not working for them. All right, let's go to our, uh, our bad things. What's your, what is yours? Yeah, um, I think my bad thing is going to be just the, the general inability to break through the, the King's defensive structure and get pucks on net and, and you know, get those higher grade scoring chances. That was going to be my my bad thing before you even mentioned the the high danger and five alarm. And what was it? Uh, three five alarm chances for yeah. the game? Yeah. That's a shift for McDavid sometimes. So Yeah, it is. Um, you know, and, and it wasn't for lack of trying and and I know that I'm not sure what it what it ended up, but they, you know, the Oilers had vastly more shot attempts through two periods than the Kings, but you know, um, the, the the shots were heavily in favor of the Kings just because, like, it was like old school hockey. Like, you don't see people like diving to block shots anymore. But the LA Kings were doing it, and you know, and I don't want to say that you know um, Jay Woodcock got out coached by by Todd McClellan because I think there's a lot more to a in game coaching than what you know the average fan, which, which I am, sees, and we like, and we think that you know this guy didn't get enough ice time, so you know coach got out coached. Uh, I think there's a lot more going on than so I will never profess that the coach got out coached but you know that was a you know Todd McClellan had his team he you know McDavid had some clean air in the neutral zone but they gapped up at the blue line and he could never break through the he was getting the the puck knocked off every time that he had a bit of time and space you know shots were just they just couldn't get them through they had you know, I have memories from watching the Condors game of Cal Peterson um, getting just bombarded by the Condors and, like, stealing games. And he didn't steal games, but once again, the Oilers, the Oilers organizational team couldn't score on Cal Peterson. I've been seeing that for four years now. Every other team can score on him, <laughs> but this team can't. So um, it was just an overall, it wasn't lack of, of, of effort. It wasn't lack of trying to get pucks net. It wasn't them trying to overpass, which they can be, you know, guilty of trying to look for the perfect play. They just they try they couldn't get pucks through. They couldn't they couldn't get bodies in in front to create that scoring chance, you know. And the one time they made the beautiful um cross ice for the one timer in the Leon spot, it was nurse, not Leon. And and he missed the net. So you know, yeah, I give it a goal because I, I presumed it was Leon, but but it was Nurse down there about halfway through the third, I think it was. So, yeah, my uh, bad thing, Ira, is the start of the game, and this was just a typical Oilers start of the game. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, first shift, um, LA does a stretch pass right up the middle of the ice, right through Yesapuliarvi. And Darnell Nurse gets beat by Kopitar, but Connor McDavid is he's skating with Kopitar through the neutral zone. It's his man too. McDavid just he lets him go. Like McDavid and Drysdale are such fantastic hockey players, but um, in a three-two league and, and on a team where you just where one goal means everything, they can't let up. And McDavid let up for a second there, and Kopitar goes in on a breakaway. Um, four, uh, four minutes later. Uh, it's Leon, who's um, Fogel moves down to cover a player who's cut to the net. And uh, he's now in the kind of the center spot. And Leon has to rotate out to the point to Trevor Moore. And he doesn't do it. He doesn't recognize the play. And he's in the middle of the ice. And um, 
um, Murray and Hyman allow the pass across to Trevor Moore. And he pounds it in the net. You know, Dreisaitl's not there. Yeah. Fogel's screening the goalie a little bit. Skinner should have had that one, I think. Well, it was a, it was a, in no man's land halfway between, not blocking the shot, and <laughs> not screening the goalie, kind of moving his body sideways at the last minute. Yeah. It was it was a it was a it was a soft goal against because a number of players lost battles. Like it, there was a number of defensive breakdowns. It was a nothing play by LA until players started to lose battles and break down. And if there's just a little bit more effort or success from any one of them, it stops. But they all start to and they all get then they they all start running a little bit. They all lose battles. They're all behind the play. They lose their man. There's a wide open shot and the goal goes in. This is the story of the Edmonton Oilers this year. They are not defensively disciplined. They've got poor defensive habits early in the game. And then they get then they get riled up and then they start to bear down and then they start to play defense. But by then they're down one or two goals. And we've seen this, I I don't have the number, but we've seen it constantly. We saw it again tonight and it's there it's not just their weak players, you know, people like to say, well, it's, you know, blah 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 Holloway and Ryan Murray and Nima Linen and yeah, they they are part of the problem. But it's their best players yep. who are who are a big they're the ones who are the leaders on this team and they've got to they've got to set the example themselves and stop making those kinds of mistakes. McDavid, Drysaddle Nurse, CC, um, early in the game. They've got to buckle down and get it done. And until they do, the owners are gonna keep losing games like this. So and and you you nailed it kind of when when you started there. It's it's not that they can't do it. It's you know it's the start of games because you know you mentioned the plays by McDavid and Dry early, and then the goal that resulted on the Dry Fogel play there. But then you know I thought you know two thirds of the way through the first, and for the rest of the game they locked it down. Like they did very they few. Did. Like there was the odd defensive error, but not a major breakdown. And and you know how many scoring chances did, did LA have after after that? You know none until I shouldn't say none, but until the main one on the. I guess it wasn't the power play goals right after the power play, and and yeah. even and there was a breakdown on that, but but they for the most part locked that down for 45 minutes, and it was a tight defensive struggle. Neither team were able to break through, but the difference is the Kings locked it down for 60 minutes, not for 45 minutes, and you know they scored a goal in those first 15, and then they traded goals, and there it is. You know, that was the difference. The Kings yeah. locked it down for 60 minutes, and yeah. the Oilers locked it down for 50. Yeah, and and that's how you lose a game. And so they're going to keep losing. They, they they have pretty good talent. They obviously have brilliant talent on this team. I think their, you know, their talent level, if they're all healthy, their talent level is as high as any team in the NHL. And it's just, they've got to, they've got to figure this out. I mean, they did figure it out in the playoffs last year in the LA series in game six, and they started to play strong defensive hockey. But, um, you know, it's 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 probably hard to play with that kind of intensity, but it is a matter of habit, and I think they can, uh, you know, I'm not expecting them to be perfect, but this is a trend at the start of the game where they're in they they're just a step behind. They're not sharp defensively. They're not stay. They're not they're not committed to making the the hard and smart play defensively early in the game. They've got to be, yep. and if they don't, they're gonna just keep be a 500 team for the for the next few months or worse they might even dip below 500 so we'll see what happens
<laughs> Hopefully we don't have to go that, that far. <laughs> I hope so. I hope not. Okay, let's go to our numbers. What's your number? Um, actually, if you don't mind, Dave, I'd like to do my number uh, after yours. Okay, I'll, I'll start with the number. Well, my number is a defensive number. And it just It's really straightforward. The Kings blocked, um, let me just see here. The Oilers blocked eight shots <laughs> and the LA Kings blocked 29. <laughs> so the story of the game. I mean, that's the game. It just it just speaks volumes about the way the two teams played. And um, actually, it's a little exaggerated. I mean, the Oilers weren't that much worse than the Kings this game. But um, it, it does speak about something about the defensive intensity that the Kings had to employ to shut down a, a, a superior attacking team. Mm-hmm. They were committed. They were all in. They had the good habits this game. Just from start to finish, good defensive habits. And... Um, it paid off in a win for that team. That's how the LA Kings are going to win hockey games, and they all know it. And it's it's something that Doughty and Kopitar, their two best players, have exhibited for a, a decade now. You know, they figured out how to win a Stanley Cup that way. That's how they won Stanley Cups. And um, it's it pervades the team, that, that attitude. And good for them. Like, they really know how to play defensive hockey. Yeah. And uh, shot blocking total demonstrates that. Great. And it seems that, you know, the Kopitars have passed that down to, you know, the kind of young developing players, like, yeah. you know, because everybody was blocking shots. I'm not, I think I'm in Gabe Velarde, but it's like we were playing the 98 Dallas Stars or like sliding across at the point, like going like on their side blocking shots like you used to see in the 90s. That doesn't happen anymore. It doesn't even happen in the playoffs, but the LA Kings are doing it in on November 15th or 16th or whatever. Yeah. Like, it was something to see because to tell you the truth, I don't, I don't know what got into them. Maybe they, maybe it was because we beat them in, in the playoffs because I don't think the Kings have been a lockdown defensive team this year, but they sure were tonight. <laughs> Kopitar led with four block shots. He and uh, Sean Walker were tied for four block shots with the team for the team that night. Uh, we, we always said as he was growing up that, uh, Dry was the was the next Kopitar, and you know I think we can all agree in the hockey world that 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 Dry's past Kopitar, but but tonight Kopitar was a much better player than Leon Drysaddle. Yeah, Drysaddle has passed him offensively, of course, fairly dramatically, but Kopitar is still um, he's a much better defensive player than Leon Drysaddle, and um, so we'll see what happens in Drysaddle's career. I mean, again, when Leon wants to be a defensive hockey player. He's one of the best defensive hockey players in the world. And um, anyway, let's move on. Your number is, Ira. Yeah, sure. So um, as we talked about it at the beginning of the podcast, I, I lost my dad uh, a few years ago. And, you know, my dad, you know, was, you know, that's where I got my Oilers love from. My dad and uh, and a friend of his had, you know, season tickets uh, basically all, all through the 80s. And um, basically until the, the Peter Pockleton fiasco when my dad was the, oh, he's a crook. And when he, and so when all that went down is when my dad ended up giving up his season tickets. Although yeah, a lot of people it, did. Never gave up being being a fan, of course, and, and watched to, till the end of days. So my number is actually going to be four. Which is the number of uh, Stanley Cups uh, the Oilers won with my dad in the building? Um, he was there for all four of their home Stanley Cup wins. Wow. So um, I wanted to uh, to bring that all together as kind of a, a, a tribute to my to my dad, a, a longtime Oilers fan and, uh, and one of my heroes. Four. Were you in the building for any of them? 
was a, I was a little young for that. I got to go to the odd game, but uh, um, but, but 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 not not the Stanley Cup Finals games. I never got to go. So. Yeah, I uh, I don't think I was ever. I was at a, I attended a Stanley Cup final game in 1990. Uh, my dad never got the playoff tickets. Like he could afford the regular. He he always afforded the regular season ones. But I think the playoffs were a little bit out of his price range. And he so, so he didn't go to those playoff games. But I did go to one in 1990, and they lost two to one. It was the one game they lost to Boston in that series. Oh yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah, some of those playoff games, like the the Coliseum. You know the old Coliseum, um, and you you might remember this. It went before they put in the luxury boxes. So bef- like in the 1980s, when the when the team was great, the acoustics in that building were incredible. And when the when it when it got roaring, the whole building seemed to shake. It just seemed to roar yeah. in a way that I don't think I've ever felt uh, the Coliseum after that. After they something changed when they put the boxes in with the sound. And, uh, and and the new arena, the same thing. It just, I've never seen it that, I don't think I've ever seen it as loud as it was then so, sometimes. It would just, the whole thing would be shaken. Yeah. And, uh, but they used to call Northlands Coliseum the library during the regular season. Yeah. The regular season, maybe it was expectations of success or, or just used to, you know, 400 goal seasons from the team. But in the playoffs, just like these days, uh, maybe like a bit different, but but you know things uh, picked up a notch, and as you said, the building was shaking, and then you know everybody's like, okay, we're through the regular season, now it's time, cheer and cheer on the boys. Yeah, they used to call the uh, Oilers fans the jury, you know, <laughs> sitting there judging the players. We still do that, of course. I mean, that's, and, and I could, you know, I'm probably wrong. That I'm I'm sure at Rogers Place um, in the downtown arena that uh, there have been playoff games where it's been really rocking and incredibly loud. And, and, I, and I was at one in in the late um, 90s, a, a playoff game against Colorado with the Oilers won. It was unbelievably loud as well. So. Yeah, well, I experienced, uh, I don't think it was Northlands at the time. Was it Skyreach in 2006 during the Stanley Cup Finals run? Yeah. Anyway, I, so. I, was, I, was I think I made it to six or seven uh, uh, playoff games, mm-hmm. including cool, cool. Game Six, the four nothing win against Carolina. Oh, yeah. We won't talk about what happened after that, but uh, but that was a fun one. <laughs> that was a pretty good season. I don't have many complaints about that <laughs> that season at all. Alrighty, well, let's leave it there. And uh, and thanks again, Ira, for coming on the podcast tonight. Appreciate it. No problem. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.